So uh, we're going to get a bit uncomfortable today, uh, which is good. Uh, I want to start here. It's June 23rd, 1963. Martin Luther King Jr. gives this incredible, impassioned speech. And in the context of that speech, he utters one of his many very famous lines. I submit to you that if a man hasn't discovered something he will die for, then he isn't fit to live. Just think about that for a moment. I want to ask you this morning, do you have a cause worth dying for? Is Jesus a cause worth dying for? The interesting thing about Jesus is from the moment Jesus broke into history, God steps into the human race. Immediately, within just months, people want to kill him. That's his story. The wise men turn up to King Herod and they say, like, we think there's a king that's been born. And Herod doesn't like the threat. And so, like this little baby Jesus, life is at risk right from the get-go. And then we get all of these years between then and pretty much the age of 30 when Jesus is kind of in the shadows. He's just living a normal life. And then at the age of 30, he steps into the limelight and begins this incredible three-year campaign to declare that the kingdom of God has broken out. And on the very first day, the very first day of his new mission, he steps into the synagogue and he preaches from a a text in the Bible and he shares some reflections. And the first thing that happens is they want to kill him. And for the next three years, loads and loads of people love him, loads of people follow him, loads of people think he's amazing, but there's a whole bunch of other people who just want to kill him. And so his life is under constant threat and persecution. And we know that in the end, they had their way. Not that it was a surprise to Jesus, but in the end, he was arrested, he was tortured, and he was executed at the cross. But we're here today because he's alive again, and he rose again, and he's part of our lives. Amen? Is everyone alive today? And the weird thing is that like when you, if you talk to people in the street uh, who, who've maybe never been part of church and you say to them, like, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think of the word Christianity or church? Like in my experience, and I've asked that question many times over 20 or 30 years, most people say it is boring. But Jesus never went to the cross because he was boring. Like he went to the cross because he was dangerous. Because he challenged the political system. He challenged the authorities. He challenged the religious systems. He challenged people about the way that they were living their life. And and essentially over and over again he was saying, look, the, the way the world thinks and the systems of this world and the philosophies of this world are empty and hollow and barren. They will never work. They will never give you the life that you're looking for. And only the creator of your soul can heal your soul. Only the God who created life can give you life. But you have to be humble enough to surrender and admit that you need him. And so many people were willing to do that. But other people found his teaching too hard, too challenging. And pride tended to get in the way. And so he was greatly persecuted. And then Jesus said, if, if we are his followers, then we should too expect to be persecuted. John fifteen twenty, Jesus said to his disciples, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. And that became the experience of his disciples. Of the 12 disciples, only one ever grew old, John. All the rest of them were executed. All the rest of them were tortured for their faith. 
And what's interesting is, you know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke uh, is one of the biographies of Jesus. And he also writes the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. And if you look at the book of Luke, the story of Jesus, and the early church story in Acts, like Luke wants us to be really, really clear that Jesus is being persecuted a lot in his biography. And the church is being persecuted a lot in the book of Acts. There is imprisonment, there's being beaten up, there's being stripped naked, there's being tortured, and we see a lot of people being killed simply because they declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and, and Luke is at pains to show us how these people and how Jesus himself responds to that. There are three things that they never did. Jesus never did it and his disciples never did it. Firstly, when, when, with regards to God, they never complained to God about their hardship. They never said, hey God, how can you let this happen to me? Because they knew that they follow a crucified saviour. So there's a life of sacrifice and persecution. Secondly, with regard to other people, they never retaliated or took revenge on the people who treated them so badly. And thirdly, with regards to themselves, they never ever gave up on their mission. Sure, there were times Paul was honest enough to say there were times we despaired of life. There were times when we thought about giving up because it was really hard. When we heard all these stories of our brothers and sisters having their heads cut off or, or being beaten to death with whips. Like, of course, there were moments we were thinking like, do we really want to do this? But they never gave up. Because they kind of understood that, that this life that Jesus offered is eternal life. And so if even we die, then hey, we still win anyway. Because we get to be with him for all eternity. Either way, we win. I love this quote. Someone once said, Jesus promised his disciples three things. That they would be entirely fearless, absolutely, uh, absurdly happy and always in trouble. Entirely fearless, absurdly happy and always in trouble. Persecution. Struggle, suffering, turmoil, Jesus was saying, is part of the life of the believer. Evidenced in the story of the early church. And then fast forward 2,000 years later. Persecution of Christians around the globe today is at almost genocidal levels in certain countries. That's not me speaking. That was the result of a government report. Our government in this country in May of last year did a whole exercise looking at Christian persecution and reckoned that there are 215 million Christians being persecuted right here, right now, all over our world. Torture, death, imprisonment. Uh, not having the opportunities that we would have. In fact, if you uh, happen to see Prince Charles's Christmas message, not the Queen's or Boris Johnson's, but Prince Charles's, then his, uh, his Christmas message, he talked about the grave concern around the persecution of Christians around the world. Happening all over the world, and it's happening in this place called India. And uh, last March, Paul Rigby and myself, we had the privilege of going to India and seeing the amazing work of Mission India, this organization that's been running for 40 years, wanting to take the good news of Jesus to, again, one of the most persecuted uh, countries in the world. And so we wanted to take some time today to introduce Mission India to you, not as an exercise of head knowledge so that you walk away and just say, okay, I know what's going on in India, but actually, firstly, that you might think about getting involved in this as the way we're going to do as a church. 
but as important, if not more important, that the stories that you're about to hear will challenge you to think about what does it mean for me to live a risk-taking, fearless life for God? And, and if I'm living a life where everything is so safe and so comfortable and I'm not experiencing any form of persecution, then maybe I'm doing it wrong. Then maybe I'm doing it wrong. And God is stirring us to be a little bit bolder, a little bit braver in our faith today. May what we hear this morning inspire us to do that. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, the UK Director of Mission India. Would you put your hands together, holler like a crazy Zio people, for Andy Milligan. Would you welcome Andy to come up? Thanks, Matt. Was that, did you enjoy that? That was good. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was brilliant. That it was, was awesome, um, wasn't it? Yeah, so, I, I, that's my day fulfilled. Now. Yeah, well, that's what we tried to do here at ZEO. So, Andy, um, you've been working for Mission India for a few years now. And uh, first of all, just tell us, give some basic facts about India so that we can... Uh, my, my, I gave up geography, uh, and so my geography is terrible. Tell me about India. Great. Yep, sure. Yeah, India, it's a huge country uh, of about 1.2 billion people. So it's massive. It's more like a continent than a, than a country. Um, and of that country, 400 million of those people live in areas where there's no gospel. There's no access to the name of Jesus, making it the largest unreached nation on this planet. Well, one quarter of the population are illiterate. They can't read or write. And they're surviving on about, roughly speaking, about one pound a day. And they have no access to the gospel because they can't read or write, so they've got physically no access to it. The Hindu religion is fully ingrained into the culture. And if you're poor, Hinduism is such an oppressive religion for you. Imagine living in a situation where you're poor, you're struggling to live out your daily life. And ingrained in your mind is this idea that the reason you're poor, the reason you're this way is because you were bad in your previous life. Mm. But even worse than that, you're in this situation where you're being told, well, actually, you shouldn't even change that situation because you deserve this. Mm. You deserve to be poor. And, and that's why the message of grace is so powerful in India. And that's why we're so passionate about reaching the unreached because whenever you free someone from poverty, that's liberating. But the freedom from the oppression and burden of sin is all life transforming. Come on. That is so, so good. And so, uh, as I mentioned, Mission India has been working for 40 years. And one of the things I loved about uh, going to see them and hearing uh, from Andy is that really in those 40 years, they have been focused on three things. They've not kind of changed course. They're like, we're about three things to see this nation changed. So, so tell us, for 40 years, what has Mission India been doing? Yeah, great. So we are a church planting organization. So we do one thing three different ways because our goal is to put a church in every single village in every single town in India so that everyone has the chance to respond to the message of the gospel for the first time. And, and someone asked me at the break, um, how did you start? What, where did you kind of kick off? Um, and our founder, John DeVries, he went out to India. His plan was bring over a bunch of missionaries. We'll evangelize the country. We'll get the work done. Now, when John landed, he found it really difficult. He didn't know the language, didn't understand the culture. And John doesn't eat curry. <laughs> Which, That's bad. It's not a great story. Oh, I love a korma. <laughs> That's not a curry. That is a curry. <laughs> That's so a sweet. Curry. That lovely. That is a curry. Oh, it's but, a shocker. Jo- but John was there, and, and even at that point, they were closing the border to Christian missionaries coming into the country. And so John didn't know what to do, and, and so he did what you should do in that situation. He stopped and he prayed. And then he was introduced to a couple called Kamala and Chiri. And Matt and Paul had the privilege of meeting Kamala and yeah, Chiri when we were in India. And they were an Indian couple who had a passion to reach their country but didn't have a strategy. So 
John and Camel and Sherry sat down together and they wrote an adult literacy course and that's where it started 40 years ago and that's why we're a mission organization that doesn't send missionaries. Instead, we train and resource local people to reach their own nation through three programs. The first of those, which is church planter training, which does exactly what it says in the tin. We train people how to plant a church. This isn't a theological course, it's a strategy. It's how do you get a church from nothing to something in 12 months? Because what we're trying to do is create self-sustainability. We're trying to plant churches that can be there and carry on growing after 12 months without our financial support. And last year, we planted 2,873 new church plants in India. That's new church planters trained. They could have played at two yeah, churches. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. almost 3,000 church planters trained. And, and just, so we had the privilege of, of visiting one of those. If you look at the next slide. So, so this, just pause people. This is one of the churches we visited. So I want you to look at this. This is a church, like material and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Paul and I had the, you'll see some video of us at it uh, shortly, but this is one of the churches that we went to on a Sunday morning. And we arrived a little bit late, and, and just to see these 30 or so people who'd gathered, that church wasn't even there a year before that, and uh, worshipping God, praying with tears and great passion. And, and I remember sitting, and this, this kind of thing, which is in a fairly um, kind of remote-ish area, and, and literally that sense, you just thought, wow, this, this church is so vulnerable. Like at any moment, you just knew that a bunch of people could ride up in motorbikes and just kill everyone or burn the whole place down. And that is the kind of threat that these people are under. And, uh, and we were so inspired to be there by their faith and their courage and their bravery. Um, but uh, just imagine uh, how committed you'd be to come to a house like that every week. But that's what they do. And that's representative of many of the churches. So that's one thing you do. What's the second thing? So the second thing we do is we run our adult literacy program. Uh, and that's a 12-month course that runs in the evening. And it gives illiterate people the ability to read, write, and do basic math. And the idea is that after 12 months, they'll be able to go out and get a better job. And they can double their daily salary by doing so. But the main reason we run this course is because we use it as a way to give people the Bible, to give people the gospel. So as they're learning to read and write, they're also learning to read the Bible, and we can evangelize to them that way. And last year, 113,976 adults graduated um, from our adult literacy program, and 52,000 of those committed to Christ and became part of a new church plant in India. Come on. I mean... Now, now, you might start thinking, like, like these numbers are ridiculous. I remember when Andy uh, came to see me uh, a year or so ago before the trip, and he presented the figures for 2018. I was just like, Andy, these figures are ridiculous. Like, like how, you want me to be an ambassador for a missionary? Like, how do I know that this stuff is true? And one of the things that when we went is that they have in India, like, uh, literally an internal audit team who spend their life on the road checking that all of the stats and all of the metrics are accurate and they're reported well. So I can definitely tell you, like, Mission India is one of the best charities I've ever seen in terms of how well it's run, how well it's managed, how well it's reported. These figures are real. And, and you've got to get a sense, like, these aren't numbers, these are people whose lives are being transformed. It's so inspiring. And the third thing. The third thing we do is we run children's Bible clubs, and they look very much like you would imagine a holiday Bible club here to look. Um, so we run 10-day clubs and clubs that run in the evening for an entire year. Um, the, the kids play games, they learn songs, they read stories from the Bible. And with this, Bible clubs is amazing, because what normally happens is we'll, we'll give the gospel to a child, and as you imagine as children do, if you've got one of these things, you'll know that uh, they, they come home and they'll share what they learned and so these kids go home, and they share the gospel with their parents, and that's often the first time that they get to hear it as well. And so through our Bible clubs, whole families are coming to know Christ. And so we reached 5.5 million children last year who'd never heard the gospel before. 
And again, what inspired me about the clubs is that these, these clubs, you know, we, we run weekly clubs, maybe an hour and a half, two hours a week. These clubs run five days a week, Monday to Friday, two hours a day, 52 weeks of the year. I mean, like, this is hardcore educating children, bringing children to Jesus, led by some of the most inspirational people that um, I have ever met. And when you add all these things together, if you look at the next slide, so in 2019, 2.8 million people became followers of Jesus for the first time through Mission India, and over 11,000 churches were planted. This is good. Uh, so let's, let's look at a personal story. Watch this video. My name is Monica. I'm 10 years old. I live here in South India with my mom and my dad. This is my little sister, Sinchana. These days we have plenty to laugh and smile about. But not long ago, things were very different. Not long ago, I hated my life. This is the story of how Jesus rescued my family. My dad was a drunkard. If he earned 30 rupees for a day of work, he would spend 20 rupees on alcohol before he came home. He didn't take care of us. Some days, we couldn't even get one good meal to eat. At night, he would argue and fight with my mom he would yell at her and hit her. My father was always fighting with my mom, with the police, with the loan sharks whose money he had taken and couldn't repay. My mom couldn't handle it anymore. She was so scared and so sad that she tried to end her own life. <laughs> Life could not get any worse. I didn't know it then. But God had a plan to rescue my family. And it would start with me. That plan was set in motion the day that Indra came to my house. Indra lived down the street from us and was going to start a children's Bible club in our neighborhood. Indra Bandi Kedu Bible class ke Kalastiranta. Adikana Yurgupatagangan and Kalaste. There were stories and games and singing and we got help with our schoolwork. Miss Indra was so kind and loving to us. She told us about Jesus and how we could pray to him for any problems we were facing in our life. So I asked Jesus to change my dad's heart. Every day the kids in the club prayed with me for my dad. And every night after my dad fell asleep, I sat beside him and prayed. My mom and sister started to pray too. Praying to Jesus just felt right to us. We started going to the church. My dad didn't approve, so we had to go secretly. One Sunday morning, 
after we left for church. My dad followed us. He thought if we came into the church yelling and beat us in front of everyone, we would be too ashamed to ever return. But as he stood in the doorway of the church, something happened. He didn't move. He just stood there and listened. Afterward, he told the pastor why he had come. And then he asked the pastor to pray with him. Somehow, right there in that moment, Jesus answered my prayer and changed my dad's heart. The drinking stopped, the beating stopped, and soon after, he started a business and began to settle his debts. We started going to church together every Sunday. All of us got baptized. My dad was first. We read the Bible as a family and pray together. At night, instead of fighting and yelling, Dad helps Mom with dinner and helps Sinchana and me with our homework. Kushi Samadana Ella Kotido and Amadlo Monica. Aul in the na Stella Aul Pratan in the na Birgada Aul Pratan in the na no Bala undira do. Aul in the na isto change agira do. Isto samine na mano Aris kanu ami ki Barwada Kutumba idhi log dale. How awesome is that? So, so good, isn't it? So amazing. Uh, Jesus is changing lives. Maybe there'll be someone here today. This is your day to invite Jesus to change your life. But we'll come to that a little bit later. So it won't be a surprise to you that having kind of seen some of this stuff ourselves, like we were just like... We, like, we need to get involved in this. And when, when Andy first approached me just to be an ambassador in, when I speak in other churches to cheer on Mission India, I said to him, like, you know, we're, we're not, you know I'm really happy to do that. We're not probably going to get involved as a church. But like, you start meeting these people who are risking everything for Jesus. And we, we talked as a team, and we just thought, like, now we need to get behind this. And, and particularly because it really touches the things that we're passionate about. So you'll know if you've been part of ZEO for any length of time, we're really passionate about children and young people knowing Jesus. We're really passionate about seeing people come out of poverty and into new life. And we're absolutely passionate about um, people coming to know Jesus. And we're thinking about planting churches ourselves in the next uh, year or so. And so like, our vision is aligned with Mission India, which is why we are committed uh, together. And it's like Kate mentioned, people generously give to Zio, but not just to support what we do here, but to do in other countries. And so you'll know we have a missionary family in Moldova that we support, and Sam and Leah will be here next week, actually, uh, doing amazing work in the poorest country in Europe. Uh, but we felt we wanted to invest in this. And so uh, we've made an initial commitment that we will give just over £3,000 a year to uh, Mission India to help uh, a, pl- a church plant and a group, a children's group and a literacy group. And, and we can do that because of your generosity. Um, but we want to, th- those are not just kind of general things. There are three specific people in the next year we'll be investing in. So talk us through um, those people. 
Yeah, great. So as Matt said, as a church, I'm supporting three projects, and this is in the state of Andhra Pradesh, which is where we are and what you'll see in the video um, later. Um, and so uh, supporting a, a church planter, uh, who should pop up on the screen. Um, and he's just started the first part of his training. We'll be learning how to evangelize. And then he'll go out and put that into practice. He'll go through 12 months. And at the end of the 12 months, he'll plant at least one new church. And that'll be financially self-stable, able to keep growing without any more financial support. Uh, Runa, who is leading up a literacy project. And that'll reach 150 adults who have a chance to read, write over the next 12 months. They're learning in the, the language of Telugu. Uh, and finally, David, who's leading up a year-long children's Bible club project, and that will reach 200 uh, kids over the next year, and just give them a chance to be mentored for about 500 hours across an entire year. And if you want more information about any of these, you can get in touch with the office or in touch with us, and we can send you the full profiles um, about these projects. But we can't put it online because it would most certainly result in persecution. Like last week, we had two of our Bible club leaders arrested just for running Bible clubs. So persecution is happening on the ground, and it's, it's yeah. It's a daily thing. And so let's remember, like these people, these are real people that we are sowing into, investing into, praying for, and, uh, and connecting with. And I'm just so thrilled that we can do that um, corporately together. But actually, you might feel stirred that you want to join in with this yourself and, and basically put some skin in the game. So uh, just watch this next short little three-minute video, which is my own experience with Paul and how you can just do that. So watch this. Hi friends, my name is Matt Summerfield and I'm the senior pastor of Zio Church and ambassador for Mission India, a great commission organization seeking to transform the whole of India through the love of Christ. When you bring Jesus into a community, amazing things happen. But in the 500,000 unreached villages and communities in India, something is missing. But there is hope. God's light is breaking through. Every day, all across India, loads of new churches are being planted by faithful Indian believers. Mission India trains and equips church planters to reach out to those who have never heard his name and establish a new community of believers in an unreached village. After just one year, these church planters will have shared the love of Jesus with around 600 families. One in four adults are unable to read or write. They go their whole lives trapped in poverty with no means of escape. Mission India provides adult literacy classes which run five nights a week for an entire year. These classes allow adults to find better paid employment so that they can free themselves from their poverty. Also, every student is introduced to the gospel and given the opportunity to follow Jesus. 80% of people who believe in Jesus do so because of something that influenced them by the age of 14. Mission India provides children's Bible clubs, which run five nights a week for an entire year. Children play games, sing songs, get help with their schoolwork, and learn stories from the Bible. And when they take what they've learned back to their homes, whole families come to know Christ. It's been a huge privilege to partner with Mission India and help share the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet there are millions of people across India who are still unreached, who have still yet to experience his great love, and yet you can make a difference. Every £5 you give will help them introduce someone new to Jesus for the first time and have their life transformed. 
visit missionindia.org.uk and join them in their great commission in India today. So you'll see on all of our chairs today, uh, there's an envelope with a a response form. And uh, I really want to encourage you. Uh, to think about whether you can personally and individually join in with this, whether you can sacrifice a little bit of money every month or a lot of money, depending on what you feel God's nudging you to do, to invest in our brothers and sisters in Christ in India through Mission India. Uh, one of our four values of Zio Church is being big-hearted, that we want to live generously. And uh, we want to do that individually, living generously, and also we want to do it uh, together as one church. And so, you know, when everyone thinks that someone else will do it, then no one does it. So I really want to encourage you to think about, is this something you can pray, give? Uh, For some of you, if you really want to bless Andy today, like you can fill it in before the service is done. He'll be at the back at the Mission India stand. Give it to him. That will leave, uh, make him leave with a big smile on his face. But uh, some of us, you might want to take it away and... um, and, and then respond, and you can put it in the envelope. And some of us, you might not be in a position to give, but you want to just pray and, uh, and get on their prayer list. They send very, very inspirational short emails out with personal stories of what's going on. I love receiving them. They really stir me every time. Even if that's all you can do right now, that would be an amazing thing to do. But we're excited about this partnership. We'll be making sure we keep you informed of what God's doing through the three people that we're supporting. And uh, I'm sure like, we'll have Andy over at least once a year just to give us a little bit of update. But, um, but for now, why don't you put your hands together for Andy. We thanks ever so much, Andy. We appreciate it. Great. So um, I just want to share a final thought. Worship team, do you want to come up? Uh, just as we uh, come into a sing a final song. Um, and it's from a, just a verse in Romans chapter 5. Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Rome. And... Uh, And they were contending with some suffering and persecution themselves. And Paul writes these crazy words. He says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. And, and so Paul says, look, if we're, if we're really going for this thing called Jesus, there are going to be times that we suffer. There are going to be times of persecution. Like, like if there's something that's going on in your workplace that you know is wrong, And you know that Jesus would have you challenge it, but you might get in trouble. You might even lose your job as a result of speaking up for what is true and just. Uh, Like It might cost you, like if if you're thinking to yourself, hey, well, my, my, my brothers and sisters in India are worried about whether they'll be killed when they go to church. And yet I'm worried about being embarrassed if I invite a neighbor to come with me on a Sunday morning. And so when I hear these stories, I'm provoked to think, I need to get over some of my fears because I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried if I go to my next door neighbor and say, hey, why don't you come, come to Zio with me? I'm not worried they're about to kill me. And yet people are living under that. So, so may their example motivate me to take more risks, even if I, I do suffer some kind of persecution. I don't ever expect it's going to be like that. And Paul says, therefore, how we respond to persecution can either be really good for us or it's not going to be good for us. And he says, actually, if you can respond positively to it, then it will develop endurance with you. 
So rather than giving up on God, that you think, okay, I'm going to have to push into God more. It's going to develop endurance. And endurance, he says, will go on like a domino effect to develop character. You'll become more resilient. You'll become stronger, more faith-filled. And that strength of character will become like a domino effect because you'll realize that God's got you and that will build greater hope in you that whatever happens, you'll know you'll be with him for all eternity. And as you consider that, that hope is like a domino effect when you realize that ultimately you are safe and secure in God's love. That nothing can separate you from God's love, even death itself. Another of Jesus' disciples, John, he wrote uh, in a letter that he writes at the end of the Bible, he says that God's perfect love drives out fear. And I think that's what struck me when I met these people from India, some of these incredible church leaders, people who converted to Hinduism, and now they were outcasts in their family. Um, their family didn't want to know them, or worse, again, their lives were at risk, is that they were fearless. Because they just had come to this place where they just knew, knew like, Jesus loves me. Jesus has got me. And he, and, and he just promises that that love is an eternal love. And so whatever happens, even death itself, either way I win. What, what would it take for us to feel that level, of, that level of fearlessness? What does it mean for you in this year of there is more? There, there isn't more of God for you in order for you just to feel happy. The there of more of you for God, of God in your life, is going to challenge you and stretch you to be bolder, to be braver, to take more risks, to be more fearless from a security of his love. So that you can get to a place where you can say, you know what, I don't mind what people say about me. I don't mind what people do. Like this week, I, I had a private message that someone uh, sent to me. I didn't even know them. Like just basically, you know, telling me that I was a bad person and what I was doing, getting married was wrong. And, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And, and there's been that over the year. All of that. Like, it will happen to all of us. But when you know that it's what God says over you that's the most important thing. Everyone's got an opinion about me. Everyone's got an opinion about you. And guess what? You've got an opinion about you. And, and, and I've got an opinion about me. And my opinion about me and other people's opinion about me doesn't matter. It's what God says about me. And God says, Matt, you're loved. And I've got you. And so from that, may I be fearless and more courageous. May the example of our friends stir us to action. Let's stand and sing this song, Never Afraid.